0: This is Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei-Chun Wang. I'm an entrepreneur who's passionate about all things business. As a trained economist with consulting background, currently working to educate business professionals in a college setting, I constantly gather information, advise my clients, teach students, and train people with the best practices. In this podcast, I will provide intelligence in business management, economic and data analysis, digital marketing, and international business strategy. Let me help you navigate the complexity in this challenging and dynamic business world. This is Business Intelligence Podcast, and I am Dr. Wei-Chun Wang. Welcome back to another episode of Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei-Chun Wan, and I'm here as always with my partner, Mr. Joey De Gangji. You know, when we put together this podcast, we wanted to create a venue where we could share business intelligence, uh, leveraging our analytical backgrounds so that, you know, perhaps we could provide insight that'll help with your endeavors or your business. We've been, however, having some internal conversations, um, just Joey and I, we thought that every once in a while, it wouldn't hurt if we try to put together a lighter episode. And the lighter episode would just involve, you know, our observations in the marketplace and how we interpretate what we see in the market without having, you know, too heavy of analysis. And perhaps that will help you not only, you know, be up to speed with what's going on, but also uh, stimulate some of the thinking that will create more business opportunities.
1: Yeah. It's a nice kind of change of pace a little bit. We'll just kind of talk about some observations that we find and then see where the conversation leads and see if it, if it gets the wheels turning on your side, makes, you know, gives you a chance to think about something maybe from a different perspective or makes you aware of something else going on. And you can kind of analyze it yourself and figure out what, you know, what that means for you and your situation and your, in your career or your business
0: yeah I mean some of the listeners know that I have been uh, a college professor for a while, and I teach uh, many, many business students and As the fall semester just started and we resume in person instruction, I see particularly a lot of seniors there are worry, and their worrying yeah. faces um, you know really have an impact on me because I, I not only have to try to calm them down but also have to try to explain to them that opportunities do exist even in the crisis, while others pay a lot more attention in the chaos as well as, you know, the job losses in the marketplace. I personally see opportunities because it it is with the chaos, you would have the shuffling um, that are ongoing in the marketplace and the shuffling would actually mean new opportunities being created.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's it's kind of like that law: like you can't create or destroy matter; it only changes form. I think that's what you see with a lot of marketplace shakeups. You know, every you look back, you see some opportunities that that go away, where other ones kind of go on, take its place, and and assume you know assume those positions. I think right now we're still in the midst of of this particular crisis, so we're focusing and seeing a lot of what's going on, like what's being lost. Without you know the retrospective opportunity to kind of look back and say, okay, here are the new industries that created this many jobs, or you know, here's the industry shift that made that made these new opportunities available, and we're still kind of waiting to see how the dust settles to figure out what those are necessarily going to be.
0: Just very recently, I got contacted by uh, one of the reporters at the right. New York Times looking for some quotes, and that the prompt that I received was that the the reporter was interested in knowing whether. The change in the spending behavior of consumers, uh, you know, for example, not on the uh, leisure related businesses, but on more like durable goods, you know, people now cannot travel, cannot right. go to restaurants because of COVID and, and uh, consumption trend. Uh, you could observe that people start spending money on, for example, durable goods, like appliances, would that help home the economy? improvement? Yeah. yeah. Or home improvement. Yeah. Would that help the economy? Um, you know, it's it's kind of interesting when you think about the fact that uh, with the stimulus policies that the federal government has, uh, has implemented, now, majority of people now have more uh, disposable income because of that, right? Um, and, and, right? And the marginal propensity to consume, if I'm allowed to, you know, explain to you um, some e- economic jargon, uh, that is, when you have more income, you will be inclined to spend more Right, so that money is gonna go somewhere.
1: The problem right. people be, aren't just
0: sticking under their mattress. Exactly. the The problem with the, the 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 spending increase is that we are interested as an economist. I'm interested in knowing whether or not that spending would create a cycle that helps the economy to come back to stability or grow. Right. So that that would be the key question. So, for example, my my income is going to be somebody else's income my spending is going to be somebody else's income, and whether that um, spending and uh, income generation will be ongoing in the economy would be, then become a problem
1: right and and kind of like that question they were saying you know, if it's not going to travel is it, is it because if you spend on travel then those eight companies those local businesses to the travel destinations are, are getting that that spending money where is it going now and is that is that location going to be beneficial to the economy as a, as a whole
0: Absolutely. Now, um, so for people to understand how business cycles work, uh, you you would know. I mean, it it doesn't take an economist to explain, right? So once once you spend money on durable goods, you don't necessarily have to repeat the expenditure for quite some time. You buy a car, you don't have to buy another car for another five, six, seven years. You buy a fridge, you don't have to buy another fridge for such a a longer period of time. But the for the highly consumable items like going to restaurants or traveling Mm -hmm. that's slightly different because that requires ongoing and constant consumption buying durable goods however doesn't create quite the same impact in the economy
1: right now what do you think about though so they're they're buying these durable goods once once you buy that car you aren't going to be making that same type of expense but now you've got all this money in your pocket that you're not spending on on travel and things like that with like do you think they're still going out and spending that money on other things like because I, th- I think that was kind of what the the reporter was getting at looking at the the property right. they sent over they were worried well, that people are just gonna not spend the the money after they make those durable purchases well saving is definitely one option
0: right? right so you you see that the stats have already suggested that people start saving more because like how many more new things could you buy right 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 um and and that has affected a lot um and and not only affecting the 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 uh the economic growth, but also, you know, the, the types of consumption uh, change how we shape the economy. Um, just for a quick example, like micro- McDonald's, even McDonald's is being hurt very, mm-hmm. very significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause McDonald's as, as people know, the breakfast items usually usual, used to be um, their, their heavy revenue generating source. Uh, but because of the fact that people are aren't commuting right now, uh, right. They they lack of the they lack of the incentive to go to McDonald's and get breakfast. They just uh, they just stay at home and uh, you know maybe get a bowl of cereal. Um, so yes. McDonald's is trying really hard to to innovate um, their their business model. Uh, so for example, uh, we've just recently seen uh, something that we have not seen in the past forty years that McDonald's, for the first time in forty years, have created a new flavor for McNuggets. Uh, now they That's have right. the spicy McNuggets on the menu because they are trying every possible way to increase the revenue generating source. So yeah. coming back to what what we just talked about, like, you know, spending on durable goods, uh, would that help the economy? Um, yeah, but limit it because again, mm-hmm. how many more things, how many more th- new things could you buy? And I think what's more interesting, the implication of the, uh, COVID crisis as well as the stimulus policies is mm-hmm. that it, inevitably creates um, an unintended consequence, which is the distribution of resources. So mm-hmm. there are people that you know, now have more resources than others. So if you're looking at people at, down at the bottom of the socioeconomic spectrum, those are, those are the people that need the stimulus money to get by. So they, they don't think about you know, buying durable goods. They want their right. money to just buy necessities. And, and those people, uh, they, they, they have, you know, it's like a drop in a bucket, right? So the, the money that mm-hmm. they spend on buying necessities don't necessarily have enough, um, you know, energy to really stimulate the, the economy. Whereas the middle income or high income groups, their money is just, you know, on top of everything that they've already had, right? So they could right. very well save them. They could very well spend it on durable goods buying cars or appliances, or maybe not cars because, you know, automobile industry is being hurt as well because nobody is. Um, So it creates this new distribution, distributional consequence that most people are not thinking about. And then you turn around and look at the capital market and you realize that all the stock market indices are doing fantastically well. And then, you know, couple with the um, uh, people down at the, bottom of the socioeconomic spectrum. Those are the people that generally do not hold many financial vehicles or financial instruments. Um, how would the uh, increase in the stock market help them? The answer is no, right? So you're going right. to create an environment where the middle or high income groups, they have now more abundant resources. Um, and, and that, by the way, I think is going to create a bigger trouble. Uh, down the road for us. So looking at the stock market, since we're on the topic, and I, I yeah. couldn't help but, but, re, uh, but notice that a couple days ago, or a week ago, Dow Jones uh, decided to replace some of the companies in its index. Um, right. Some of the old companies that, were, were, uh, that are very well known, uh, like for example, um, Raytheon, ExxonMobil, Uh, Pfizer, uh, big pharmaceutical companies, Mm -hmm. are being replaced by Salesforce and Honeywell, right? Salesforce is a leading uh, customer relation management software company. Um, And Honeywell, obviously, is an industrial equipment. It also uh, makes uh, uh, consumer goods. And and that shakeup, again, reminds us that market is not permanent. You know, uh, yeah. the, today's success doesn't guarantee future success, and right. similar things actually happened to GE before. A couple of years ago, GE got dropped um, by um, the index, by the stock market yeah. index. I believe it's S and P 500, and and I think GE was one of the first companies that that um, uh, that were included in S and P 500. So nothing is forever; nothing lasts forever. But going back to what we said in the beginning. Um, how would we then see this as an opportunity?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So like, it all comes back to, you know, what what do we tell, kind of what we started with? What are, what are we telling people that are about to enter the job market? What does this, you know, what does this mean? I think one, we, we were talking about a couple things, you know, prior to this, but one of the examples, you know, I think um, for younger people entering the job market, you know, you think about different times in history when, you know the uh, the skill sets sway sway so heavily towards people that have the you know the technological you know familiarity. They're more comfortable on on Zoom meetings or communicating through social media or email. And I think, John, um, you pointed out kind of a, a similar disruption, similar you know a impact on young people um, in the '90s. And you're saying it's kind of like following that same that same trend of like a, a massive opportunity shift to to people entering the workforce.
0: The the reason why I characterize crisis as opportunities is because it is because of the change in distribution of resources. Yeah. You would probably be able to find opportunities to cut in, right? So um, how, how, do you, how do you create opportunities for yourself if there is no crisis, right? Because every position is being occupied. You know, all the industries are pretty settled. In that scenario, it's difficult and more challenging to find to find a way to cut in.
1: Yeah, everything's I, kind of
0: fixed. Right. I always yeah. advise the young people, you know, don't don't see crisis as crisis. See crisis as an opportunity for you to cut in, especially when you're 22, 23 years old. You have, what, 40, 43 years of working life ahead of you? You should be very excited about what you're seeing um, in today's environment. That is, you know, yes, COVID, it's, it's a crisis, but it also creates a lot of different opportunities for you to repackage yourself and try to ind- identify what you need to do to accomplish a 43 years of working life.
1: Yeah. I mean, think about what it's doing to, you know, like, like the freelance industry, for example, like people are trying to hire people that can work remotely and, and take on some of these smaller projects on like a per project basis. And there there's opportunities like that, that are kind of popping up now for, you know, more, more than, more than it has in the past.
0: I came across this report. By, uh, you know, this is a research done by world economic forum and it listed out kind of like the 10 uh, most important skills to have. Um, oh, cool. And for employers to, that the employers are looking for right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the good news is, you know, since July, we have seen a steady growth of jobs in the United States, right? Since July, 2020, U.S. economy has added 1.8 million jobs. You know, yes, it, it is at, at a slowing rate, and yes, COVID-19 had destroyed many more jobs than 1.8 million. But right. when these new jobs are being created, some of these jobs are completely new jobs because the employers are creating these jobs in the face of challenge. They are preparing for the future and they wanted to do right on the momentum. And I think the, the good thing about this World Economic Forum research, this piece of research, is that it points out some of the most important skills that especially young people uh, need to have. Um, and, and I will talk about them, right? So for example, like communication skills, problem solving skills, uh, operation skills, customer service skill, leadership skills. So all these 10 skills, only a few of them are like hard skills, right? So Microsoft Office, that's a hard skill. Presentation, right. that's a hard skill. But communication, problem solving, Leadership, customer service. How do you characterize those skills? How do you make sure that you make people believe that you're good at these skills? That's hard yeah. sell. That's a hard sell.
1: I think that's one of the, one of the ways where, you know, if you, if you are just entering the workforce, I think you you have either, either an advantage or, you know, like a, a pretty good story that you can go on and tell. I mean, you think about if you look back a year ago, and you saw communication and customer service as part of your, you know, the job description communication for a lot of industries at that point, meant, you know, the face-to-face client meetings, the customer service of, you know, having somebody walk into your place of business, being able to, uh, to work with them now, I mean, it's the same idea, but communication and customer service are, it's all online. It, it's, you know, it's the same skill sets, but an entirely different channel of, of, of like letting those skills manifest. And I think that lends itself pretty well to, you know, to, the, to this younger group coming out.
0: So the landscape of the job market is completely changed.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And I don't think the younger generation uh, is necessarily prepared for the landscape change because, you know, those people they're seeking advice from um, are, are, you know, people with experiences and they're not the, the older people or the, the more experienced people. They themselves are not used to the new trend.
1: So, right. Yeah. Everybody's think, waiting to see just how things settle. and Exactly. And
0: so I think the situation yeah. actually calls for young people to really go out there and process the information on their own and and really try to come up with narrative that'll fit their own purposes without just, you know, not just going out and, and look for advice and look for guidance because sometimes
1: the, the device and guidance oftentimes are outdated. Yeah. Yeah. So they had right there on the, on, the, on the list, like problem solving that the problems we were solving before the problems that people can give you advice on solving, you know, at this point are, are not the same ones we're, we're actively solving right now. It's a, it, everything is, is shifting. Right,
0: right, right. And again, I'm not trying to paint a, a rosy picture. I, I yeah, do, no, of course not. I do yeah. see that there is maybe in the midterm, there is a, probably a bigger crisis coming. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause as an economist, I would tell you that, uh, you know, it is the fact that the stock market doesn't necessarily reflect the, the, uh, you know, critical condition of the economy. Right. Right. Oftentimes people said that stock market is the leading index, but if you were to look on the other side of things, you know, I could justify the growth in the stock market by, um, by arguing that it is because that there is the lack of investment vehicles so that we push all the more, all the money into the stock market that boosts out Hmm. the stock market indices. Um, So do not take the stock market performance as the one indicator that says that the economy is doing well. I'm definitely not trying to paint that picture. We are still, we're still being very cautious and especially for the younger generation. I want you to be cautious. I I want you to be thinking the, the, the long game, um, you know, uh, not only cultivate you to become the, the kind of business professionals with transferable skills, but you need to always be on the lookout for new opportunities, for new skills. Um, you need to learn how to process information um, in a better way. There are many industries in, uh, traditionally in the U.S. economy that have been carrying the U.S. economy forward. I'll give you another example to, to let you know that how um, the shift is being done in a re- at a really rapid uh, pace. Uh, talking about real estate industry. I think mm-hmm. real estate industry is, again, another very inter- interesting industry. Because traditionally, real estate, the value, the, the the total value of real estate industry accounts for probably 3 to 4% in the U.S. economy. Mm-hmm. And if we were to expand uh, the real estate industry to also uh, cover construction, building materials, and all these furniture, as well as fixed equipment, appliances, we're talking about... Uh, you know, a total market value that accounts for probably 7 to 10% of the U.S. GDP. So this is a pretty significant industry. You know, it's kind of interesting to see that in the past couple of months, the U.S. housing market, um, the real estate market has been in a shortage. Mm-hmm. You know, the new constructions can hardly catch up with, you know, how many people are buying, right? right? And the used market is also very, very hot. And one thing that you could use to explain is that especially the real estate market in the suburbs uh, is now hotter than before because of the remote working requirement. If right. I were to work in the San Francisco Bay Area paying, I don't know, $3,000, $4,000 for, for a one-bedroom or two-bedroom apartment, why would I want to keep staying there if remote working is possible? A lot of people, not, I think the traffic, condi- traffic condition has improved a lot, mm-hmm. um, and, and which because of this remote working train, we kind of push all these professionals who go out to the suburbs and, and, and um, try to find housing options in the suburbs, which created this, um, this phenomenon that we're seeing. In the next 10 years, uh, the millennials will enter um, into an age span between 35 to 45 years old. And that age span is typically when people start buying houses. Because, you know, the, the way that we characterize the American dream, it comes with a house, right? Right, right. And that is, that is going to hit the top in 2028. Right, so the the amount of the the size of population between 35 to 45 years old is going to hit top at 2028. Mm-hmm. How how is that trend going to change the the job market uh, um, forecast, and how is that chain going to affect your career? Is the question that we want to ask, right? right. Not a lot of people are uh, doing enough. Um, you know, research or doing enough reading to understand uh, or pay attention to what's going on in other industries and, and understand how these uh, different industry trends are going to affect my future. I think this is something that the younger generation would have to be doing a lot more.
1: No, absolutely. There's all these other, like you said, like outside of the stock market, like there's all these other key indicators that need to uh, need to be on your radar, even if it's not yeah, you know, something you have back You have to at least know what those indicators are. Keep an eye out for it, and and see what other things to watch for.
0: So you know, a lot of things are happening, and I've been always advising my my students not to worry, uh, but they do need to start working um, um, harder. They knew, they do need to start looking for jobs at a much earlier uh, age to really right. understand um, what's going on in the, in the job market. You know, you, you, how do you, for example, characterize your soft skills? How do you tell people that you have good communication skills or presentation skills? It's not going to be enough when you just say that I am the best communicator in the world on your resume, right? You have to back Mm -hmm. it up with some real experiences. Uh, So the experiential learning opportunities and the practical um, opportunities that you could get while you're in school. Will become critical in determining whether or not you are going to have success in securing uh, your uh, a job in the job in the in the marketplace, as well as having uh, a, a good uh, career growth trajectory.
1: Yeah, you know, if you're on the younger side, really try to find ways that can you know like tangible proof of those skills. Yeah, you know, that that kind of follows along in suit with like what you were saying. But you know, for those internships or some type of really like some type of way to explain your, your skill sets and really like demonstrate that to someone. If you're early on in your college career, um, definitely, you know, like start to look for some of these opportunities, try to rack up as many good examples as you can. uh, The transferable skills, like you'd mentioned, if you're getting closer to, you know, to the time of graduation, uh, you know, kind of take inventory of what you've done, figure out if there's better ways to to frame some of the experience you've had um, and start looking for, you know, we're, all kind of dealing with this you know the, the some of the online learning some of the craziness that's going on look for ways that you can you know prove how your adaptability is you know how you had to change during your college career and how that can you know speak to your your problem solving skills uh, as you as you enter the job market but yeah so if you if you've been you know if you've been out for a while like try to figure out um you know it's it's very difficult for anyone to kind of like predict what's going to happen but try to find, you know, look for shakeups and, and trends towards, you know, try to, try to think a couple of steps ahead, like what like anticipating your, your, your clients needs, your customers needs, you know, as their lives start to shift in all these different directions or as they, you know, in some cases, if you serve people that are going to be having more disposable income right now or, or less, depending on what, what their, their state is in, in you know, the economy, how can you anticipate their needs and and think of, pivots that you can make with your business. I think that's the biggest thing. Like make sure you can always, you know, you're thinking about what pivots to potentially make. And the same can be said for good times as well. I mean, those, that's always what you need to do. always, always try to look for like ways that you can adapt your business for, you know, the changes that are happening.
0: I mean, I've been hearing a lot about like, you know, positive thinking. So for example, yeah, yeah. this COVID thing, and this is going to pass. Uh, we always prevail, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a slightly different mentality. You know, I I, I remain very right. positive. I mean, if you have um, you know heard me talking in other episodes, you you would you would know that I I am very very positive. But I think that's a wrong mentality to assume that we will prevail, right? Right. Um, I I come from a very different perspective. I don't make assumption that we are going to be able to get rid of it soon. Instead, I am assuming that this is this thing is going to last for three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. And that's going to help you with your planning um, effort, because if you assume that, you know, this thing, we're going to get past this thing, um, you know, in a, in six months or in a year, that's not going to help you with planning um, uh, in any regard. Right. Right. And I yeah. think from the very practical sense, I mean, when I was interviewed by local newspapers, um, you know, for a couple of times in March, I actually call it, I said, uh, when the reporter said that, what? How do you? How do you make sense of this, Doctor Wan? Uh, wh- what do you predict? What do you forecast? I said this thing is going to stay for at least three, four, five years, because from a very practical sense, we're waiting for vaccines. And if you're assuming that there is what seven billion people in the world, if we want to achieve herd immunity, herd immunity, we have to have at least four billion people that are that are vaccinated at the very least, right? Mm-hmm. Even if there is an effective v- this vaccine, there's no one single company or you know, a group of companies that could effectively produce 4 billion vaccinations in such a short period of time. And this is to assume that everybody will try to get the vaccine in real time. There will be people that want to wait and see right. what happens, right? Yeah. And this, along with the fact that We've we are already seeing a lot of variations in virus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how effective would the vaccines be? Again, I want full disclosure. I am not a public health expert. I am not. I'm just a business professor and I'm an economist. Right. Um, yeah. But but I think with that mentality, it's going to help us to find peace in whatever we do on a daily basis.
1: Yeah. Like you know, you, we're we're optimistic about certain you know certain things, but it doesn't mean it's a, a spectator sport. Like you just kind of sit by and wait for things to get back to, you know, where they were, you know, 10, 10, 12 months ago. There's, um, you know, and I think making sure you understand what to find. like you, you talked about, like, you know, we're going to prevail, we're going to prevail. Make sure you, you, you frame how you define prevail. Prevail doesn't mean things just go back to normal. We've prevailed and we're, we're, we're back, we're back uh, in the swing of things. Prevail might mean here's this crazy hand that we've been dealt but we prevail by getting a really good return on a really bad situation. It you know, you have to make sure you understand what prevail means for for the for the next, you know, the next period going forward here. And I think that's kind of what you were hitting on.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so with respect to job market, um, how, how do you adapt, right? How do you do you mm-hmm. have more skills that you could you could promote and you could deliver to add value to the organizations? Or if you want to be an entrepreneur um mm-hmm. you know like like us how do you then frame the types of services uh and products that you could del- deliver to the marketplace um you know we talked about the me syndrome it's not about you it's about how uh, your services and products are being perceived in the marketplace yeah uh, if you're trying to look for a job yourself is a product how do you package it yeah exactly how do you package exactly. it exactly um, so soft skills are important you know especially younger in age, um, people are looking for utility players. People are looking for um, you know, employees that could cover all these different dimensions. If you're older in age, you probably would have to develop a type of specialty that uh, convinces people that throughout the years, your experiences pay off, that you actually have become uh, an expert in, in some area so that your value could be uh, revealed.
1: Yeah, I think kind of the same way. Like, so when we advise clients on creating content, for example, I mean, they're they're trying to, you know, sometimes they're they're creating graphics, blog, whatever, whatever they're creating. We'll ask in a much nicer way, but we'll ask, "Who cares?" Mm-hmm. and, and that, that's you know, it's not it's not uh, rhetorical. Like, look, right. who cares? Is it us talking about what we're doing? Why, you know, how proud we are of the the product we produced? That means you care but we want to always be framing things and making sure that the, it's the reader or the listener that cares. And, and it's that same idea. So it's not, here's all this great work I did in college, or here's all, here's this great 20 year career I've had since I've entered the mar- marketplace. No, it's what are you going to be doing for, you know, for me as, as the, the hiring manager or the, or the CEO, why do I care? So always ask with anything like presenting yourself as well, who cares? And that's, that's going to lead you down the right, the right direction.
0: You're absolutely right. Um, So that's it for today's episode. I hope that you enjoy um, uh, kind of like the lighter conversation. And, um, you know, uh, next time when we come back, we're going to bring you some uh, a little bit more heavy lifting analysis. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'll see you next time.